How has your family damaged you? If you had a time machine, which of your mistakes would you fix? What turns you on in the workplace? Welcome to Confessions, the podcast where you get to hear different people confess. So, Amy, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. How are you feeling? I am feeling uh, wonderful because it's Friday evening for me and I've had a very long week at work and a, and a stint in the hospital, actually. I had a weird oh, okay. thing happen where my arm became numb for some reason. So I spent most of Tuesday night in the um, emergency room with lovely doctors and one of the doctor or one of the nurses, I should say. Uh, he had all black scrubs. So it was very uh-huh. Halloween. He had all uh-huh. black scrubs and he had lots of tattoos. And one of them was in Gothic letters and it said, Veritas. And I said, uh-huh. <laughs> I said, I love your tattoo. He said, do you know what it means? And I said, of course I do. <laughs> he said, no one else knows what it means. <laughs> so that was fun. I also like that it was a very visual description. And I think <laughs> that that's of what I know about you. I think that's something you do very well. So, um, I should explain how this format works for the benefit of anybody who's tuning in for the first time. So I have three decks of cards and I've decided to call them extreme and revealing and uptight. And every deck contains revealing questions of some kind or another, um, which I'm going to ask you in no particular order. I'm going to pick them at random. But just for the benefit of the audience, um, Amy, which uh, deck of cards have you gone for? Uh, I think revealing. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's great. It sounds more appealing to be revealing. Um, yeah, yeah, I, <laughs> I think it will. Um, and here's, this is really important, this next bit, which is the, the purpose of the sh- podcast is not to embarrass anybody. So um, if there's any question you don't fancy answering, you just say next question and we'll move seamlessly on. Um, so it's as simple as that. Um so what else was I going to say? Oh, okay. Um, I need you to introduce yourself. And the way I'd like you to do that is as if it were a dating profile. So if it were one of these kind of like online uh, dating sites, how would you introduce yourself? <laughs> oh, I've never had to use one of those. Uh, <laughs> I'd say uh, I'm a, I am a romantic at heart who wears her heart on her sleeve and you better like black licorice oh fantastic that is awesome. <laughs> that's, that's that's all i'm gonna get <laughs> great cool so are you ready for your first question mm-hmm. okay so Um, The first question is, what did you call your partner in your most heated argument? Hmm. An idealist. An idealist. Huh. As as, as a slur or as a compliment? (laughs) Yeah, a little bit as a slur. (laughs) (laughs) Even though I'm quite an idealist too, I don't know. Maybe I was (laughs) being reflective. Okay. Here's the next question. 
What do you wish that your partner could change about themselves? Uh, that they would be more confident. Uh-huh. In any particular way or just in general? Yeah, just exude confidence. Yeah, mm -hmm. I yeah. think. And oh, probably that they would be a better chef. <laughs> okay, the next question is, what's the relationship between how you were messed up as a child and how you might mess up your children as a parent? Oh my goodness, there's so much about me that's messed up from my childhood. <laughs> I think uh, probably that there, that there would be a right way to do things or that you'd have to please people. Um, I, I really don't want my child to feel like she has to please people. And I've always felt like that. And I think it really kind of holds me back. Actually, something happened on the elevator today and I mm -hmm. realized I apologized for just my existence <laughs> on the elevator. Yeah. Uh -huh. And I realized like, why am I apologizing for even being here? And I, and I realized like that whole kind of concept of being apologetic and trying to make everyone happy and please people is sometimes not the way to go. How does that get into your head, do you think? I, I think I was, um, I had two very demanding parents as far as, uh, I mean, in different ways. So I've always felt like um, what I need to, you know, what I exude or how I behave or what kind of marks I get at school or whatever has to be sort of this reflection on them. And yeah, so it's kind of, it's made me kind of always strive for the best and yet not really be true to myself in a way. So I don't know. I think that that gets in the way of things sometimes. I guess, do you think that women, um, men experience that, uh, what you described is that need to apologize your existence equally. Oh, no. In fact, I realized on the elevator that three of us women who are working in the same place as the two men on the elevator, we all three apologize to the men for exiting the elevator and the men couldn't care less. So that was funny to me. I realized that I, I said to myself that very moment, I'm not going to apologize anymore. I mean, surely there's niceties, right? You know, excuse me, whatever. But I don't know why we revert to a complete, you know, pouring out of apologies for just being there. Yeah. So, yes, I do think, I think we experience that differently. Okay, you ready for your next question? Mm. Here we go. Oh, what sexual thoughts strike you in non-sexual places, especially public transport, offices, and work-related situations? <laughs> I'd say um, definitely trains. <laughs> trains, yeah. are my, trains are my sexual bag. 
Yes. <laughs> Anytime I hear a bagpipe, I don't know what it is. Uh, <laughs> means of transportation, I guess. I don't know. I, I tra Something about trains does me Trains every and time. bagpipes. I'm just checking. I got that. So, Correct. yes, trains, bagpipes. Let me think. Um, there's so many. I don't know. <laughs> How can we even have time for all the places this? Um, trains and bagpipes for some strange reason. <laughs> no, um, yeah, those are the two big ones I'd say. And reading, actually, um, mm -hmm. definitely reading. I don't know what it is. I think it's the sort of like you go sort of into yourself and you, I don't know what it is about reading, but that more than more than dancing, more than music, more than, you know, hanging out at the, at a jazz club, although that also would be wonderful. Uh, yeah. <laughs> something like that. But yeah, no, I think that sort of, and being on cliffs. Oh, that's being the other thing. Cliffs. Being on cliffs with really cold breezes and rocks, you know, like in Ireland and, you know, the coast, you know, like really, almost like the Shetlands, like that kind of cliff. <laughs> and I don't know if I just imagine myself in some Victorian garb on a cliff <laughs> looking out into the horizon. But yeah, that just does me in right there. That's what I'm picturing. I'm picturing you <laughs> taking a steam train um, whilst reading a book, a little bit like a kind of a Sherlock Holmes uh, type yep. scene, all the way up to the Shetlands. And where you stand on the cliff and in my mind, you have the sort of flowing back dress and there are weirdly bagpipes playing in, in the background. There this you is, go. It's the yeah, whole picture. I mean, the it whole strangely picture. makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it does. And, a yeah. Big, and big rocks, big gray rocks with moss. <laughs> I love moss. Oh, my God. Yeah, moss. The mossy rocks. Yes. Very moss good. is the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Reading cranes, bagpipes, and moss and cliffs. Yeah. If I was a rock star, that's what I would put on my you must have in my hotel room list. Mm. <laughs> moss, yeah. rocks, bagpipes. There you go. And Thank whiskey. You. And whiskey. What a great answer. Yeah. Here's the next question then. What is it about your character that hasn't enabled you to make more money? <laughs> That is a wonderful question that I would love the answer to. I think it's, I'm too trusting. Um, and I'm too giving in a way, um, not calculating enough, I think. Mm -hmm. I feel like just giving is sort of what I need to do and not manipulating. <laughs> and I really feel like, and I'm so just, I, I actually don't like money. I like having the ability to purchase things, but I don't care for dealing with finances, talking about money. I don't like things like stocks because it's, to me, it's like gambling. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's never been of interest to me really. And so um, I would I would love to be able to afford for somebody to just take care of all that for me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I would just make things. <laughs> that would be the best yeah. of all. Do you think they stand but, in opposition? Uh, those. Yeah, I'm slowly, slowly getting older. I'm slowly growing up with that, and now I'm starting to work. I, I've just started work in the finance industry, which is bizarre. It's mm -hmm. so out of character for me, and perhaps that will actually help me. 
<laughs> in my quest for being financially stable. <laughs> but yeah. yes, I think I think it is a, a sense of giving and not caring, not really caring about material yeah. things so much. Okay. Next question. So the next question is, what might your parents complain about in you? Uh, my mother always told me she was worried that I would run off with the first sailor that asked. <laughs> <laughs> so she she basically, that what that meant to her was that I was such a romantic and such a, um, just, give it all, put everything into something and a little bit obsessive about that. So she just thought I would just throw everything away and run off, you know, with the, at the slide mm -hmm. of a hand. Right. And, and she's, she's actually right. <laughs> she was right about that in to a certain degree. Um, and I think, yeah. And I, the other thing that maybe they would think I was flighty or, a combination of flighty and cold. I don't know how that can be, but yeah, I think my parents would probably think that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The next question is an unusual one. It is, would you in general prefer to be punished or to punish? Punished. <laughs> I didn't have to think long about that one. Oh, wow. <laughs> Why is that, do you think? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know, but it's always been um, a thing for me. And so that's all I'm going to say about that. But that is a thing that okay. I feel akin to. And I think there can be certain pleasure in being punished. Mm -hmm. In a way, sometimes, uh -huh. with the right person. <laughs> And also it makes you more humble in a way as well. I'm trying to remember which of the philosophers um, um, believe that all human interactions are a variation on that, either punishing or, or, or being punished. Um, one person is always objectifying and the other person is always, you know, being the object. And it sounds like a quite a reductionist analysis, I guess, of human relations, but it's an interesting thought that we kind of bring that into even the sort of smaller everyday interactions that we have. And even, I think when you think about yourself, I mean, I, I've definitely been through things where I've punished myself in different ways um, and self-destructive behavior, for example, of various kinds throughout the years. And yeah. And I think some people are just a little bit addicted to that as well self-destructive behavior rather than aggrandizing themselves or, or hurting others. I would, I would never hurt others at the expense of myself. I would rather yeah. hurt myself. Yeah. So your next question is, what do you wish in an ideal world that you could tell your mother? Oh, that my mother. Oh. oh, I lost my mother a few years ago and, um, and that was hard. She died in my arms. So that was kind of a, a surreal experience, but I'm glad I had it. And mm -hmm. I think, I think the mo I, I, I really think the thing she would like to know is, is that my daughter is okay. Is that like I done, I've done 
well as a mom, you know, <laughs> like, like I've managed to have a wonderful person come out of me and grow up with me and she's compassionate and artistic and has a beautiful soul. And I think that's like probably the only thing my mom would care about really. Yeah. Thanks, Amy. Hmm. Who do you blame for the state of your career aside from yourself? <laughs> Absolutely no one. I I think there's been, I mean, there's been some, um, there's been some bad choices I've made with, say, for example, relationships that have taken precedence over certain educational pursuits or career pursuits or whatever. Um, but in general, I mean, I don't think you can blame anyone but yourself for, for anything. So I definitely, I, I think I'm proud of what I've done so far. I don't think it's what I thought I'd ever do. I've gone kind of a, a willy-nilly path that I didn't expect. It's not something I was ever mm -hmm. thinking I would do. Um, but I made the most of what I could do. And I do have a feeling, having had you know cancer before and kind of met that sort of last moment feeling like, oh, is this it? Mm -hmm. Uh that I really have a strong feeling of legacy. So my, my goal in the last 12 years, I'd say, has been to always think about things that you're creating or things that you're working on as being part of your legacy after you die. And what is that going to be? Is that going to be a book? Is that going to be a poem that you put out in the world? Is that going to be a piece of art? Is that going to be... Um, you know, a series of videos on YouTube, you know, whatever. But I mean, those things live on. And, and I've had friends that have died and, and their social media, um, their social media legacy blog posts, for example, or, or things that they've done to impact people across the world, podcasts, whatever, have really lived on past their own, you know, mortal self. So I, I really think that's a powerful thing the thing that social media affords us because we can reach so many so many people and we can create in a democratic way um yeah so that's kind of where i am with that what i mean what would you ideally want your legacy to be um we're all i guess somewhere on that journey of defining our legacy um if if it were i don't know 200 years from now what would you want people to say was was your legacy <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'm going to last 200 years, but but I do think um, what has struck me about people who have responded to me about my work in various ways, various ages, across continents, um, is that it either moved them in some way or helped them in some way or made their life a little bit happier or more beautiful. And that's really all I can think of is that um, I always quote Vincent van Gogh said something about making something beautiful every day. And mm -hmm. it doesn't mean you have to share it. But ideally, if you do make something beautiful every day and you do share it, it doesn't matter if it even touches one person. That's 
that's fine. You know what I mean? Like, so there's, you know, there's this kind of almost a disease of, oh, I've got to create this viral, whatever. But for my mind, it really matters that you just touch one person. And that person could be your neighbor. It could be somebody on social media that you didn't even know. But it's not the volume. It's the, it's the impact of just even one person and changing their life. So yeah, if I can make someone smile or make someone amused or help someone out in their learning, you know, whatever I produce, you know, but I, I have had really great feedback over the past, I'd say 12 years, 13 years um, in that respect. And it's really made me think about that, that it's not about being viral. It's not about being perfect. It's, it's just, putting it out there and and so many kids i see today they they'll put something out there say on instagram or whatever and then they'll take it down if they don't have enough likes and i always say if it's made you pleased enough to share it to put it out there in the world then don't apologize for it just leave it up you know like who cares if no one likes it (laughs) like it's it i mean you shouldn't be relying on other people's views so, yeah. So I think my legacy would be like if I just made one person amused <laughs> for one day, <laughs> that would be my legacy. I can't help remarking that there's an interesting parallel with Vincent van Gogh that you mentioned in that in his lifetime, his work um, wasn't really appreciated and there were very few people who liked it. Um, mm-hmm. But um, we, we, I guess today we're very lucky he didn't kind of take it down or burn it all because... Um, because very few people, um, very few of his contemporaries really enjoyed it or understood it. Yeah. And I, and I always think, because I always, I'm gravitating always to artists who are sort of ahead of their time. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so many of them are, and certain movements, you know, like the Dottis and the punk or whatever, you know, and I think, it's that kind of raw energy and, and yeah, it's the, it's not caring, I guess. I like the not caring, the nonchalance (laughs) of just putting stuff out there to put stuff out there and see what happens and, and not be concerned about what other people think and then let the chips fall where they may. Mm -hmm. Romantic nonchalance. Yeah, there you go. That's my new punk band name right there. (laughs) I'm going to get myself a yeah, a fluffy shirt, <laughs> all <of> Adam <laughs> Ant, <laughs> and yeah. then and then I'll be like a new romantic, and then uh, yeah, romantic nonchalance. There you go. So the next question is, um, what are your greatest flaws at work? <laughs> oh my goodness! Uh, well, right now I'm experiencing quite a few greatest flaws because I've completely switched careers after 25 years and Mm -hmm. I'm finding that well it's just a whole new world and it's a whole and and even just the smallest thing I just seem to screw up every day I don't know I don't know what I do I'm not sure why and I think it's because I'm sort of a big picture person and the little things that have to be a certain way just kill me a slow death, right? So when when people have particular things that have to be a very specific way, I just don't see the point because I feel like the bigger picture is da 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 da, you know. And I see that, and as long as I'm doing that, 
I feel like the other stuff, you know, can sort of happen, <laughs> but, but, but in some industries, that's not really good. So I, I think, um, my biggest flaw is wanting to, to change too much too fast and to make mm. things better in a sort of grandiose big picture way. Um, and I'm a little bit of an idealist about that. And, and I just get, you know, reined in all the time. Um, and this was true my entire career. I'm kind of a, what if we sort of person, like, what if we did this? What if we did that? Would, would it be cool if we did this? And mm. a lot of people, it, that takes time. You can't just like unleash all the what if we's <laughs> on people. They, they sometimes, um, you know, get nervous about that and, and you have to have sort of, sort of proof and you have to sort of baby, you know, test it and baby steps. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of an all or nothing, like, let's just change everything. Woohoo. And I get all these ideas really fast and I want to make them happen. Cause I feel like, why not? Why don't we just make them happen now? But I don't think mm -hmm. about all the things that they could affect, right. That have been in place for maybe years. So that's my biggest flaw. Why do you think people have that resistance to the what if to, um, to kind of change if you like oh i just think it's fear i think it's fear because people are comfortable in the status quo which is why there's beige in the world right like what, <laughs> why do people have beige homes like really like why are why is there beige paint why do people wear khaki pants why do people have fluorescent lighting what i mean really like why you know so so I, bologna, you know, that kind of thing, like <laughs> lunch, lunch and meats, you know, I just think all of that is just, um, it's just, yeah, just comfort in the status quo and, and nothing, I mean, all change is scary because it just makes you question your whole raison d'etre, but I think, um, that's the key is like to be able to create change, but in slow, non-threatening ways. That's so difficult, but I think that's the crux of it all, right? Like slow, non-threatening ways. But you have to show proof of that it will actually be something positive. A lot of what you describe is about a very kind of expansive self that you have so everything from standing on cliffs to kind of punk to you know um the the artist that you like um why why do you think that the the range of your personality your boundaries if you like are so much wider than many of the people that you meet hmm. let's see i i don't know i i have always when I was little, I wanted everything to be purple. My entire world was purple. I had a purple bicycle, purple room. I was like little Prince, right? <laughs> I was Prince before Prince. Um, and I, and nobody else had that because it was the seventies and everybody had mustard and, and avocado <laughs> in their life. Um, but I, I've always, um, I guess that's the romantic in me, the sort of uh, a little bit in a fairy tale kind of thing, but 
Mm -hmm. I think, uh, I don't know how to answer this. I I think, uh, uh, sure, actually, how to answer this. I never thought about this before. I've just always been like this. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's, almost like I'm standing outside of myself looking down, you know, like when you hear people when they die and they come back and, they, mm-hmm. and they're floating around and they're looking down. That's kind of how I feel about a lot of things. Like I feel like I'm sort of floating up and looking down, but I, I do know one big change that I can actually say happened was, you know, having had cancer and another one actually mm. we had in Hawaii, um, with the nuclear, with, I'm sure you've heard of it, but like the, the scare mm-hmm. that we got on our phones, uh, that the, it, there was an incoming nuclear missile. And I had been super worried about that for a long time. I was almost like Noah, right? Like no one believed me. Everyone thought I was crazy. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, no, 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 I think, I think we're really vulnerable <laughs> to like a nuclear, a test, you know, a test attack by North Korea. And I, I was, mm-hmm had it in the back of my mind and then it actually happened that I got Mm. this on my phone and I was the first person to find it um in my house and Mm. that feeling of just utter desperation and in you know impending annihilation it's like your life just flashes before you you know and I've Mm. had a friend who actually did die and come back and he said very interesting story he's like when that happened, it was like he saw all these TV screens and his whole life was playing on all these TV screens really fast. And it, mm-hmm. and it was kind of, that, that was kind of interesting to me. But, but anyway, this whole concept of um, sort of rethinking like what really life is about because we're really not here for very long, you know? And I think that's those two things have put life into perspective for me. So I kind of don't care so much about perceptions and I know a lot of people do care and they're obsessed with people's perceptions of them. And, you know, mm. I wouldn't dare wear that because, you know, people mm. might look at me funny or whatever. Like today I actually went to work at a major bank in a, the craziest outfit you would imagine because we, we had pink, we had to wear pink for um, breast cancer awareness and, Mm-hmm. I had this, but I wasn't just pink. I had a, an organza, big puffy sleeve, like, like snow white on crack kind of puffy sleeve mm-hmm. shirt <laughs> and a black velvet jumper. I mean, not, well, not jumper, like England jumper, like, but like a, a dress. Right. And I had mm-hmm. mouse ears with a veil because we had to do a Halloween thing and a skull mm-hmm. bracelet you know, and I had all these things going on and I just walked into the bank like, yeah, like I'm, you know, going to write you alone, you know, like, <laughs> just like, and people looked at me, but I didn't think anything of it because that's just the way I am. But I think, uh, yeah, so many people are just, it's like that poem by T.S. Eliot, right? Like, do I dare eat a peach? And that's my, my, one of my favorite lines is like, because I think so many people are walking around going, do I dare eat a peach? Do I, you know, do I dare roll my trousers? I love that poem, the Prufrock poem. Yeah, it's a, it's a a lovely explanation, I think, to me that you've just given of what 
defines the boundaries of our personality or how, how far we're prepared to experiment is that fear of what other people might think of us. So it's it, it's those shifts in perspective that you described which really enable us to uh, to expand who we are. Um, but I wanted to ask about that experience of of receiving that message in Hawaii, as you say, and thinking oh. then that you, you haven't got very long to live. But what did you do? What does one do in that situation? I guess we all imagine we know what we do. We know, I don't know whether people pray or, or kind of hug their loved ones or go to a shelter. But in practice, oh. what, what did you find yourself doing? Yes, I'm actually, I'm going to try to find you. I wrote a poem afterwards because it was very cathartic. But I... Um, I just, I mean, it's the most sinking feeling, right? And then logistically, I mean, the, mm. the, the logical mind says, okay, well, we probably only have 10 minutes to live <laughs> if this is really going to happen. Um, mm. And there was no reason for us actually to doubt this was going to happen because everybody was tweeting about it and, you know, writing and it was everybody's phone and it, you know, it was coming from the government and it was just, it was very realistic, I have to say. Mm -hmm. And, um, and like I said, I was kind of predisposed anyway, because I'd been thinking about it, but you do is just drill everything down to like what you really care about, I guess. And I, I, I really had to make the decision. Do I wake up my daughter or do I just let her go in peace? I ended wow. up waking her up and of course she was terrified and crying and a lot of people actually they were up and, and out and they people put their kids in the storm drains. I mean it was very traumatic. I mean people had heart attacks. It was it was a little nutters. Um but I wrote a poem I so afterwards, basically, and we when we finally found out after forty five minutes that it was not happening. Because even after 45 minutes, we thought, well, it could have happened and they shot it down or, you know, whatever, right? Because obviously it would have, you know, got us in 10 minutes. Um, we, so the first thing I did was drink some whiskey. <laughs> and, then, and then my daughter and I went out and painted and I wrote a poem. Uh, would you like to hear the poem? It's short. Yeah, I, I would it. love to. Okay. Yeah. And it's called 15 minutes or maybe 10. Well, it's actually called inbound because that's what the message was. But um, I was going for the, because it would take 15 minutes or maybe 10, as they always said, you know, by the time they got word of it. So 15 minutes or maybe 10 before you meet your mortal end, before the fireball comes to play, before the shockwaves spread and slay. 15 minutes or maybe 10 to contemplate your life again to think about the things you've done and wish that there were more to come. 15 minutes or maybe 10 to envision all your friends, all your lovers of the past, memories before the blast. 15 minutes or maybe 10 to say one final prayer, amen. To text your family, I love you. To hug the nearest dear ones too. That's all you get, so spend it well, anticipating the coming hell, the boom, the shroom, the blinding light, you're helpless now, there is no fight. 10 minutes, perhaps 15, some pour a drink, some kiss, some scream. What would you do, my friend, with 15 minutes, maybe 10? 
And that's actually well, what I heard people did was like some people prayed, some people kissed, some people, you know, many people were texting their family on the mainland or whatever. Um, so, yeah. So that kind of sums up everything you'd ever do if you got that message. But, you know, I'm from the 80s where we were sort of living in that type of fear and, you know, had the, all those movies and all the songs, you know, 99 Luftballons, whatever, you know, <laughs> like, so mm -hmm. it's very mm -hmm. real, you know, for us to think of that. And mm. yeah. yeah, poetry helped <laughs> just banging out a little verse afterwards kind of, and I found that throughout my life is like when something bad happens, either write a poem or make some art. And then I'm good. <laughs> That's good advice. Yeah, it's very cathartic. Okay. And Next also question. whiskey. <laughs> and whiskey. And whiskey. <laughs> Don't whiskey forget the whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is a different direction. Who do you quite hate but still find sexually appealing? Oh my gosh. Um I'd have to say Putin. I find him very hot. I'm sorry, I do. And people that know me, <laughs> people that know me laugh about that, but I, I really do. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. Is it's it just crazy. as simple as the power? Is it? Is it uh, I don't know what it is. It's his steely, angly, I don't know. Who knows? Mm. I mean, and a young Stalin. He was very attractive. Also a guy I would not, you know, want to necessarily have dinner with. But um, very attractive. But Putin, I don't know. Putin does something to me. I don't know what it is. Terrible, right? Like, I probably shouldn't say this on, the, on, on air. But but people, people do laugh at me. And they sometimes send me funny pictures of him because they know. Yeah. Cool. Well, we might get a few more now. <laughs> Okay, next question. Um, what do you wish you could ideally tell your father? Uh, I do not have a good relationship with my father. So I wish, oh gosh. Um, let's see. <laughs> I don't think, I think I'm going to pass on this one. <laughs> You're fine. <That's> fine. <laughs> next question then is, what would you fix in your life with infinite money? Oh, with infinite money in my life, I would definitely pay off all my debts. Um, mm. And I would then, I would then have enough to travel to all the places I love because I just don't really love where I am. Actually, I really love England, <laughs> but I don't necessarily want to move there. But I, I would love to be able to have a little tiny place somewhere, um, you know, like on the Faroe Islands or the Shetland Islands or in Scotland or something and just be. So I think that's what I would do. Mm. Thank you. That's pretty selfish. I, I didn't even say anything about giving to anyone, but... <laughs> but <laughs> Yes. Next question. Which colleague or professional contact 
would you like to apologise to? You don't have to name names. Oh, wow. Um, I, I don't know if I've ever really slighted anyone, but I think I would like to apologise. I know. I, I have. Um, a very, very long time ago, when I was first actually starting as a teacher, I had a friend who was teaching with me, like almost a co-teacher, and his wife died suddenly in an accident in New Zealand. Um, she drowned. And he just wasn't mentally the same, obviously. He wasn't mentally the same. He was in his 20s and his wife just perished. Um but I ended up yelling at him one day and just being like, you've lost it. You've just lost it. And I wasn't very compassionate. I don't know why. And I don't know what he was doing, but I, I remember yelling at him in front of other people. And I would have to apologize for that because that wasn't very um, empathetic of me. And granted, I was like, not even 25 probably, but you know, I couldn't get the grief. Right. Mm -hmm. I couldn't understand his his intense grief and the way it changed his um, yeah. psychology, really, like his mindset. Yeah. OK, next question. We're going to get some, some fun, sexy what ones do you want? because like this is so sad. <laughs> I'm like nuclear no, bomb, no, 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 no. Death, no. cancer. <laughs> As if by magic. The next question is, um, what do you want more of in your sex life but have difficulty asking for or finding? Uh, I would say a playfulness uh -huh. would be my answer. <laughs> and costumes. And costumes, yeah. Mm. Any particular... <laughs> Um, and an implement <laughs> no um yeah i don't know uh oh my goodness <laughs> so so many uh i think there should be peaky blinder sex is what i think there should be <laughs> so, yeah. like, caps and <laughs> lots of things with caps and whiskey yeah, braces as well. Braces, braces, definitely braces, definitely. Is it I wore um, braces to a meeting and I have an American colleague and she referred to them as suspenders. Suspenders, which I know, of course, for mm -hmm. you yeah. is something completely yeah. different. Yeah, That's right. And I had to say to her, please don't ever tell anybody that I wore suspenders to a business meeting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but more costumes. That's great. Yeah. Costumes are good. Hmm. Yeah, cool. Next question. What mistakes would you want to avoid in a future relationship? Um, I think uh, not being demanding enough. I think being too... Uh, catering I think yeah I think a little more honesty in in my needs as opposed to just acquiescence yeah 
Next question then, who would you most like to impress with work and why? Hmm. I've impressed some pretty cool people, <laughs> I have to say, mm-hmm. that have been my um, kind of idols and then they, I ended up impressing them. But I think I would love to impress Michael Resnick from MIT, mm-hmm. who is from the, you know, the kindergarten, whatever. I mean, I've met him several times. I've actually been in the media lab a couple of times, but I would love to impress him. And I would love to impress, I think I would love to impress, I just want to impress my daughter. <laughs> I know that seems funny, but I I want to make sure that she's proud of me, you know, when I go. Like, I think that would be cool. But I think sometimes she is. And why do you want to impress Michael at MIT? Um, I just think he he and I think alike. I have never... um, His book came out just after ours, and it's sort of about the same thing. And he's been working on that on creativity and sort of like a lifelong kindergarten aspect of life for a long time. And I just think he's a cool guy. He's, he's genuine. Unlike a lot of the MIT stuff that's gone down recently with <laughs> the whole scandal um, with Epstein and whatever. But I think he's not really involved in that. He's sort of in his own little world and he's genuine and a really cool guy. So yeah, I think him and trying to think if there's anyone in England I might mm. no not so much <laughs> I, think, I think I'm okay I'm actually not really into impressing people to be honest I don't really care yeah that's the thing it's like there's people I'm I'm I, the person that I I think I revere the most Howard Howard Rheingold who was a big inspiration mm-hmm. to me he actually ended up being a friend and writing the foreword to my book so that to me was like the coup for me because because he is somebody I respected for a long time and I really admired his work for ages and it just happened organically. It wasn't like I pursued his, you know, his favors or anything. It's just like we just happened to know each other through other people and whatever, get to know each other. And I think that's been a major impact on my life and he's been a good mentor to me. But other than that, eh, I don't really, maybe Putin. Maybe, yeah, yeah. I think if Putin would, yeah, (laughs) just kidding. What do you you think would impress Putin? I I think absolutely nothing about me would impress Putin, (laughs) (laughs) except my knowledge of Russian history. Maybe that, but I doubt it. Um, Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think he'd give me a, give me the time of day, really. (laughs) (laughs) okay here's a question what might your friends be most surprised to learn that you'd love to try professionally oh that's a lovely question i haven't thought about that um okay i'm gonna have to think about this for one second surprised to learn Wow, I don't think there's anything I wouldn't love to try professionally. Um, maybe. I mean, I think they'd be surprised to learn that 
I'm in, I'm trying right now, like such a, uh, a non me kind of industry. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. yeah, like, I was yeah. Like completely, just completely divorced from everything I've ever done in my whole life or anything that I'm about, uh, kind of industry, which is finance. And most people think of that as very, you know, conservative and restrictive yeah. and old fashioned and whatever. And they, uh, so I think that is probably the biggest surprise. And I am trying to make waves <laughs> in mm -hmm. that industry as far as uh, creativity goes and um, creative approaches to learning. But yeah, that's, it's, it's an interesting, it's, it's a learning experience every day for me. Let's put it that way. <laughs> like it definitely is. But I mean, even so I just wrote a song. I actually just wrote a song parody, which I'm known for mm -hmm. about a computer program that our bank tellers use. So I actually took all the weird like nuances of this computer program that we use to do the transactions. And I wrote a song about it <laughs> and it's to tide is high by Blondie. Cause I had just finished her lovely or Deborah Harry's lovely autobiography. So it was in my head. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So I guess my, my style is not compromised, but <laughs> the content is different. I guess you're probably not alone in having to contend with environments where, you know, there's this kind of resistance to creativity and, and trying things. And so I wanted to ask you what, what's worked? I mean, in the things that you've done, have you been surprised at, you know, how positively people have reacted or disappointed, or have you found that some things work and other things don't? Yeah, I actually, because I canvas um all the participants you know throughout the sessions that i have a week-long course which is very intense it's it's very hands-on actually um there's some lecture but it's mostly practical things and i try to punk i've been the things that i've tried to implement that have changed up the course is empowering the students or the participants more so that I'm not just, you know, feeding them things, but they're generating things on their own. So I do a lot of scavenger hunts of, mm -hmm. you know, things like toolkits and, you know, things on the internet or whatever. Um, a lot of uh, role play, improv kind of things because they're dealing with that. And uh, even some metaphorical things. So I've taken some things from my book and, and this has been a hit actually. Um, several classes have said this was their favorite thing and it's something from the book I wrote for high schoolers but it was uh, using color uh, paint chips as um, metaphorical inspiration to talk about in a metaphorical way to talk about your experience so your experience like how you felt before this course you know during this course and now what your future is going to be like in the company kind of thing and they're matching these color palette paint chips with that feeling and then discussing it articulating that and I think that's been a big hit um and I was that was a real risk for me to try that with this course because <laughs> I'm like yeah. what but but you know just just I guess 
doing more active things and more um, empowering the learner. And I think all of those things have been very successful. So I'm really happy that I can translate what I know about learning to what they had prior, which was just really sit and get and then do the activity. But I like to talk about the why, you know, the why behind the activity and like give them mnemonic devices. That's been another thing too, like silly, even though they're crazy and silly, but the sillier a mnemonic device is, the more you'll remember something. So these people have to remember a lot of really boring, dry regulations from the government that have no meaning. You know, I mean, like, I mean, you have to make them relevant to your life, right? So the only way to do that is to create some kind of mnemonic device or explain the why behind them, because every government regulation has arise as, excuse me, has come to be because of some bad thing happening, right? That's why they have them, right? So let's talk about the bad thing that happened first. And then you'll remember why this regulation is what it is. And then you'll know why you're doing what you're doing. So I think that that kind of empowers them as well. Because it's not just that they're learning it to learn it. Now they learn, they're they learning the why behind it. And also having some examples, like real life examples of, you know, how this came to be. Mm, I love that. Regulations are almost like the the skeleton of storytelling. They're, they're kind of the dry bones that are left once the story is gone. Yeah, but I guess it's, the story is what changes a culture, what makes up a culture. You know, those catastrophic things that happened that just left behind a regulation, but without you know bringing it back to life, it doesn't mean anything. But I also especially liked your answer around giving people back some autonomy. Um, mm -hmm. Whilst superficially it might not be obvious why you do those creative things, I think organisations, by their very nature, kind of strip away that autonomy that people have um, and the control that they have over their lives. And you're just finding little almost subversive ways of giving them some agency back in their lives. I think that can be so powerful. Uh, yeah. It makes them more active in the class. And also um, I, I always come from the perspective. I mean, th this was a big shift in my teaching, but when I figured out that whoever's doing the most work is doing the most learning, Mm -hmm. that changed my teaching because then I thought okay well what are you going to bring to the table like mm -hmm. students you know what are you bringing to the table I, I'm not doing all the work I already passed this class you know <laughs> in high school so yeah. so let me let me let me create the the mise-en-scene you know like the the mm -hmm. let me create the whole environment for you and maybe give you some creative constraints that you can work around and then you create the scenario so like I do a lot of things like you know, draw a card and it's a product and now you have to pitch it mm -hmm. or, you know, draw a scenario and you have to enact how that customer relationship would be in like a dialogue or draw a regulation and you have to think of a scenario where that regulation would come into practice. And I don't have to think of those things now. The students can think mm -hmm. of those things. So I think that's been the big shift. And I think it's it's actually been really successful, which I'm I'm happy about, only because I've asked every <laughs> every group and they, they always say like that's their favorite part. So yay. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. A few more questions. 
um, and then we're done. Um, the next question is, what was your most foolish financial decision? The one that kind of haunts you in the middle of the night? Oh my goodness. Um, <clears throat> well, there was the time I decided to cash in some of my retirement so I could go meet a boy I just met across the ocean <laughs> like, so I could buy a plane ticket to go to a foreign country to meet some boy I just met. Uh, yeah, that was not, that was not too hot. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think those kind of things, I do things like that all the time where I feel like my whole thing is life is short and mm -hmm. So why, you know, why put plastic on your furniture? Why not use the good China every day? Why not dress in your best outfit every single day? You know, don't save it for later. So that's my whole thing. And, and that's a problem because I'm not saving anything for later. But also, I think it is, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a mindset, you know, like you can lit, you can hoard things and, mm -hmm be very conservative with your finances and maybe you'll get to enjoy them or you can take that chance, you know, and, and buy that trip to Spain or whatever, you know, like with, with the money that you really don't have, but you'll pay it back eventually. You know? So that, that's kind of my philosophy and that's got me in trouble, but it's also got me amazing opportunities. So um, I have, been able to travel the world uh, and do all kinds of interesting things and meet all kinds of fascinating people in a probably not that prudent kind of prudently financial way, but, but um, I'm happy with those experiences and I can die tomorrow being happy, you know? So yeah. Yeah. my, my, my grandmother used to say it's only money, you know, and she was actually very conservative and wonderful with her money, but, she would say in the long run, it's only money, you know, it'll come, it'll go, but your experiences and your friendships and the chances that you might never get in the future are only there once. Hmm. So there you go. Thank you. Next question. Oh, here we go. What do you find erotic in the workplace? <laughs> in the workplace? I'm assuming it's not bagpipes. <clears throat> Oh my God, three hole punchers. I don't know why, but three hole punchers. <laughs> three, I'm sorry, three I, hole I punchers. love three hole punchers. I don't know why. Okay. Uh, I just love, I love the little confetti they make. They make like uh -huh. party confetti. Like just, you're doing work, but then all of a sudden it's a party. <laughs> it's, like, it's like you got these instant confetti. Um, you know that direction. I assumed, and maybe this is a kind of like a male yeah. projection. It had something to do with the the gratification of you know punching the the, the hole. Punching a hole. Uh, yes. Well, oh, yeah. I was going to say that as well. Actually, <laughs> I decided to take a little bit of a more. Yeah. Three hole punches. <laughs> um, People are going to be like, "Don't let me near the three hole punches." You'll go. Well. <laughs> no, but I it actually what I find erotic in a way is, is I love presentations. I love making presentations and giving presentations because they're so visual and they're so, um, if you're thoughtful in them, which some people aren't, but 
if you try to make each one, each slide, a little piece of art, you know, for your viewer, I think that's as erotic as it gets, because it's like a little bit of a, you know, it's an interplay and it's a, you're enticing someone with your message and it's storytelling and it's visual and it's, you know, emotive and all that. Yeah. So that's pretty erotic. Yeah. Seductive even, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But don't, you know, don't, you know, forget the three hole puncher. No. Because yeah. (laughs) It is what it is, right? (laughs) (laughs) Try some more three hole punching when I (laughs) Okay, last question. Oh no, really? Yeah, I mean, we can do it again. We can do the extreme one. Yeah, <laughs> next time we we, we could. Yeah, um, next time. Um, the last question is: What business do you dream of starting? What business do I dream of starting? Ah, mm-hmm. I have always wanted. Okay, so my pretty much dreamed. I have two dream jobs. One is to make amazing coffee table books (laughs) that are interactive in some way but that's just me um the other one is i uh, i really would love to start a business that would involve me working with museums to make them more interactive and i know there's a lot of people that do this now and that but it's still i still go to like world you know top-notch museums And I always think, oh, my God, you could have made this so much more interactive as an experience for people Mm. than what you have. Like what you have is beautiful Mm. and thoughtful, but it's not engaging the viewer other than just viewing. You know what I mean? Like maybe you have a few little hands on things, but like it's not really making the viewer like the artist or like the whatever. I mean, it doesn't have to be even art. It could be one of the best museums I've ever been to is the Port Colonel Museum in Cornwall. It's mm-hmm. the te- it's uh, the Telegraph. If you ever get a chance to go there, it's amazing. Um, they mm-hmm. have all this hands-on stuff about the, the Telegraph history and, and the wires and whatever. Okay, but anyway, that is my ideal, is to just make museum experiences better and more interactive so that people get a sense of being whatever the type of artist is. I was really disappointed at, in a museum of modern art had a wonderful Wada mm-hmm. exhibit a few years back, but mm-hmm. they could have done so much with making people do Dada is artist art is like DIY, right? We, I mean, we don't even have to be a formal artist could do it but they had nothing it was just yeah mm-hmm. so it that would be my ideal thanks amy well i've really enjoyed talking to you i hope you've enjoyed uh the interview is the interview the podcast um and thanks for asking or answering all the questions except one <laughs> um, it's been really fun. yeah it's been a weird mix of business and sex yeah, <laughs> a weird, like weird, good, or weird no, uh, weird as in just odd. You know, <laughs> like an, like like a like an odd volley. <laughs> like, 
yeah. sexy yeah. financial sexy financial <laughs> like a tennis yeah. i'm thinking yeah. like a tennis is game it, <laughs> is that like life i mean yeah but that's good cool well thanks very Thank much you. and yeah. um, and yeah. good luck with this this yeah. is fun confessions cool. thanks amy okay <laughs>